Welcome to Take Your Stand, the podcast of Here I Stand Ministries. I'm your host, Luke Seibert. Let's explore more of what it means to live out the gospel by clinging to the Word and to one another. Welcome back. I'm excited to continue this journey of studying how we got the Bible and uh, the issues related with the various translations that we have today. And so last week we looked at a few key things that happened either during the intertestamental period or involving the Old Testament. We had the Septuagint, then we talked about the Essenes, and now we're this week we're going to come to the New Testament era, uh, which technically the Essenes did cross over a little bit, but specifically we're going to be dealing with uh, some of the issues about the, about the New Testament itself and its uh, writing and preservation. So by the time of Christ, the papyrus and parchments were still being used, and we see evidence of this in Scripture. In Luke chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus is uh, teaching in a synagogue, and he uses a book, a, for more likely a scroll of Isaiah. And then uh, in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy. He's in prison, and he's giving instructions to his protege, Timothy. He's, he's imploring him to come, imploring him to come t- uh, to visit him in prison. And in 2 Timothy 4.13, he tells him to bring the books and, and parchments. And so you have we have both probably the smaller scrolls or, or, or leaves of things and then actual uh, books. And this and then those, so those were uh, probably Old Testament scriptures that were there. And Second uh, Timothy was the last book that, that Paul wrote. And Revelation is the last book of the New Testament. It was, it's believed to have been written sometime in the 90s uh, A.D. Uh, during some intense Roman persecution. So by the end of the first century there, we have the entire New Testament uh, written and it being circulated and it being carried uh, throughout the empire and into various regions and copied. And during this time, the codex began to replace the scroll. If you remember from a few weeks ago, it's been probably two or three now, uh, we talked a little bit about codexes and, and codexes or uh, codex I. Um, maybe that's how you say the plural, but uh, codexes, they <clears throat> were similar to what we would, to our books today. They were a collection of papyrus or parchment, and they were bound together. And the, the codex had a lot of benefits for it than the, over the scroll. Uh, the scroll was heavy. Um, it was only written on one side. Just It was bulky. You couldn't really carry it around with you. Uh, a codex could have been a, a small book. It, and it could have been easily carried. It used less materials because you're able to write on, on front and back. And people begin to use those, especially during the time when the New Testament, uh, the, by the rise of the New Testament, we see just sort of this almost explosion of, of codexes uh, when it comes to the New Testament era. So that has an effect on the copying and the preservation of Scripture. And as these books are being written, they're starting to be uh, the different parts of the New Testament are starting to be collected. That they didn't. The New Testament was written by various men and at different times and different geographical locations, so they didn't have the complete Bible uh, in hand like we do today. So they begin to start collecting these, and you might have the, the Pauline epistles, or maybe someone just had access to just a, a few, maybe one from Peter, one from a couple from Paul, maybe one of the Gospels, and you started having some of these collections. And they started uh, carry, carrying them around. 
and uh, being recognized as scripture. The, uh, even in the New Testament, there's places where, uh, where where Peter talks about Paul and puts Paul on the same level as the Old Testament scriptures, and actually calls Paul's writing scripture. It's uh, in Second Second Peter chapter three, just a, a really powerful passage. Um, there's there's a few other places in the New Testament as well. So they begin to be recognized as scripture, being copied, being bound together in the, into these codexes, and being and being used. And then we move into the, to the second and third centuries. And there, this period is called the Anti-Nicene period, uh, and, and meaning before, not not against, but before Nicaea, which was the the, the Council of Nicaea. I think it was uh, in three twenty three uh, A.D. under the Emperor Constantine's. That was a, a, the Emperor Constantine was kind of a, a turning point for the church in many ways. But we're not going to get into him today. But this this. Anti-Nicene period or the Church Fathers period is is extremely important. There is so much that was being written by men and uh, about about Scripture and how we see Scripture at a at the New Testament at a very early date was being recognized as authoritative and how it was just copied and, and used so much. And Norman Giesler writes that er, writes that within within about uh, two hundred years after the first century. Not only uh, every book, but uh, nearly every verse was cited by one or more of the fathers. He, he cites that in his book, From God to Us. An excellent book. It's a, it's a great resource when you go to sort of as a, as a reference work. Uh, it's a lot if you want to sit down and actually read it through. But goes through okay, how how the, the canon of scripture and then the, the history of the Bible and then Gives specific uh, kind of not critiques but information about uh, a, a many of the modern translations we have today. But like I said that's a good resource if you want to check that out. And so as I said, the church was recognizing the New Testament as scripture. It was being cited, uh, claimed as authoritative, and being bound together. And over time, the church began to to to, to recognize, hey, these books are authoritative. This is this is scripture. And there was these lists of canons that were made up. The Miratorian Fragment is a very early one. It doesn't have the complete same list that we have today, but it um it has quite quite a, uh, quite a lot of them. And this continued on for various times, and is until finally the, the church councils recognized these twenty seven books that we have in the New Testament today. These are authoritative scripture, and it's, it's important to recognize. That the, as Michael Kruger points out in his book Canon Revisited, Canon Revisited, that the church did not create the canon. The church recognized uh, the canon that their books were authoritative because they came from God. And he go, he goes into a really long discussion uh, in his book. It's a really kind of a fascinating book and a fascinating study. Yeah. Looking at the canon from a little bit of a different perspective than I had uh, previously. Um, if you're interested in that, I recommend that book to you again, and that'll be in the show notes there. But we have to. But just wanted to point that out that the, the church was collecting these books, gathering them together, and recognized that this these books were authoritative, and so they begin to to be copied and to be uh, to be carried around with them. And this is brings up a very interesting point: is that 
there were no uh, schools of copying. We, we talked about the Essenes last week, how the Essenes lived in these sectarian societies and they had these rules and regulations and, and uh, about how they copied scripture and were, were extremely meticulous in it. That was their life. But what, there's a different thing, that, that different story that we find uh, in the early church uh, because of persecution. And, and James White brings this out. He says, during that period of time when the a Christian faith was was uh, illegal. Persecution was common, and most of and most of those engaged in copying uh, the scriptures were not were, were not profe- were not professional scribes, but simply lay people who hungered to have a- any portion of the sacred writings uh, for themselves. He points that out in the King James Only controversy, but. It, it shows that the hunger that people had for the words he says there, but the fact that these were untrained men, and yes, they had a great reverence for scripture, but it wasn't to the same uh, degree uh, of um, copying excellence, you could say, that the Essenes had. So you did have maybe some uh, misspellings or maybe word order differences, and this is going to be very key to understanding our discussion about manuscripts. Again, not the, not the original things that the, uh, the apostles wrote. Those are the autographs. But the manuscripts, the copies of those. That's going to be very key, key to understand that the, the differences between the manuscripts are not doctrinal. They're not different uh, different gospels. They're not different epistles. Uh, they're very minor. Something like uh, like spelling differences or maybe a word order or inflation. That's a, a discussion. We'll get into all of that later on. But I wanted to point out how that, that's... The scripture, what was written, is recorded. It was recognized as scripture, and it just began to spread all throughout the Roman Empire. And persecution was a large part of that. And uh, as the church began to, to grow and to spread to, to various lands, that Greek was was spoken uh, very commonly, but that began to, to fade out, and there began to rise a, a need for translations, and for people to once again have the Word of God in their own language, in their heart language which is uh, something that God demonstrated with how he revealed the scripture to begin with and how he has raised up men to uh, translate and to pr- copy scripture throughout time. And uh, in the weeks to come, we'll get into that. But again, just wanted, wanted to point that out, that the ch- church was, was copying the codex, the rise of the codex is especially a key and also recognizing these were not, as a whole, were not trained scribes who were copying scripture in these first few centuries things began to change when constantine arose in the early 300s but uh between the the this the after between pentecost and constant the edict of milan with uh, constantine with, during that whole time of persecution uh it was mostly just common people doing it and trying to do the best that they could and they, they had a great reverence for scripture and the amount of similarities is quite remarkable as, as many authors have pointed out but just like I said, we just want to point that out, and we'll in the weeks to come we'll look at some of the early translations of Scripture, and the impact that they had upon the preservation preservation of the Word of God. All right, and so the second part of this this week wanted to talk about uh, the book uh, Ben Hur, a tale of the Christ, by uh, Lou Wallace. This is uh, it was. A, a gripping tale. Uh, there's so many twists and turns and different subplots in it. Uh, it was much more of an expansive storyline 
than the movie is. The movie uh, looks at a small part, not a small part, uh, takes a portion of the book and really zeroes in and, and changes a little bit to to make it flow a little better when you're just focusing upon that one segment of the story. Um, not only is there more, more subplots in the book, it's also, it also takes place in a much wider geographical, uh, many more geographical settings. Uh, I, f I was really engaged with it, even though it was a kind of an older style, I, I enjoyed reading it. I, I had There were a few drawbacks that I had to it. There was, uh, you could tell, a Catholic influence to it, especially in book one. It's broken, I think, seven or eight books, but um, the first one especially had some Catholic influence, and probably one of the biggest drawbacks I had was the elevation of general revelation, how um, people came, came to certain knowledge of certain things apart from Scripture, and Scripture, I wouldn't say it was undermined or tossed aside, but it didn't have the place I kind of expected it to be with uh, Judah's search for truth and some of the other characters do point him to scripture, to to the Old Testament, but um, not to the degree that I that I expected. And there were there were a few other things, and uh, if you follow me on Goodreads, I have some more details on there. Um, but it was it, taking those things into consideration. It was uh, it was a good read. You know, if you want to, to check it out to, to read with discernment, uh, had a, as I had a gripping story and. Some turns like, okay, wait a minute, I did not see that one coming. Um, it, it was, uh, I enjoyed reading it, and uh, even though I had seen the movie before, it was good to see what uh, Lou Wallace had originally had in mind when he uh, crafted the story. And uh, speaking of, of stories, uh, Lord willing, next week we're going to have uh, a guest on. We'll have uh, Kara Lindenberg with her book, uh, A Study in Terminal. I was able to read it uh, kind of as an advanced reader. Several months ago, back towards the beginning of this year, um, that was a, a gripping book. Really felt myself engaged in it. Just didn't want to put it down. And looking forward to diving into that book uh, next week and, and talking with her about that and uh, sharing with you all. But uh, we'll let we'll let her talk more about that uh, next time. But thanks. I appreciate people listening to the podcast and I hope it's a, hope it's a blessing. And I look forward to continuing uh, the story about how we got the Bible and the impact that um, translation. Why. Well, some things we need to keep in mind when we're looking at translations today. But again, thank people for listening to the, to the podcast. And until next time, read the word and take your stand. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope it was an encouragement and a blessing. To find out more information about Here I Stand Ministries, check out hisministries.com. Scripture quotations are from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, copyright 1971-1995 by the Lockman Foundation, Used by permission, all rights reserved.